Hello and welcome back to Chit Heads. I'm Khalid, one of the learning navigators at Embodied Philosophy, and I'm here to open up this episode. This hit and timely episode with Nikki Myers has been pulled from the Chit Heads archives. An accomplished speaker, teacher, and practitioner, Nikki Myers is an MBA, yoga therapist, somatic experiencing practitioner, addictions recovery specialist, and certified health coach. Born from her personal struggle with addiction, Nikki is the founder of Y12SR, the yoga of 12-step recovery. Based in its theme, The Issues Live in the Tissues, Y12SR is a relapse prevention program that weaves the art and science of yoga with the practical tools of 12-step programs. Y12SR meetings are now available throughout the world, and the curriculum is rapidly becoming a feature of addiction recovery treatment centers. Nikki's work has been featured in the New York Times, Black Enterprise, The Huffington Post, Origin Magazine, and CBSNews.com. She is honored to be a co-founder of the annual Yoga, Meditation, and Recovery Conferences at Esalen Institute and Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health. She was named a Yoga Journal Game Changer and is an honored recipient of the esteemed Nouveau Cultural Visionary Award. In this episode, Jacob and Nikki discuss Nikki's journey with addiction, relapse, yoga, and the 12-step program, the distinction between healing and curing, and connecting the cognitive and somatic for sustainable addiction recovery. We hope you enjoy. So with that, hello, Nikki. Thank you so much for joining me. Hi, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Absolutely. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you today because I think this is obviously such an important conversation. So many of us struggle with addiction and I myself have struggled with substance abuse um, in parts of my life. And this hasn't been something that we've tackled on the podcast yet. So I'm really excited to talk to you because you really are uh, a kind of pioneer in this in this intersection of yoga and and uh, recovery. So first, I wanted to start off just because your fa- your story is so fascinating. How you um, went from your own addiction to recovery, and then you know stages of recovery, and then finally to this beautiful project that you've created. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that story. All right, all right. Um, I love that. Um, you know, I, I usually start. I don't care where I am or where I'm speaking. Uh, I usually start things out the same way, right? And, you know, I used to always say, I don't care if I was speaking at Harvard Medical School, but a little less than two years ago, I really got the chance to speak at Harvard Medical School. <laughs> and and I did do the, the whole introduction thing the exact same way. And it says, I'm Nikki. I'm an addict. I'm an alcoholic. I'm a codependent. I'm the survivor of both childhood and adult sexual trauma. I'm a love addict. I'm a recovering debtor spender. And and I love to emphasize and, and really, really take a moment for that very powerful three-letter word, and. Mm-hmm. Because what sits on the other side of that equation is, and I'm a yoga therapist. I'm a, a yoga teacher. I'm the founder of this program, Y12SR. I'm a somatic experiencing practitioner, which is a trauma healing technique. I am an MBA, like you said before, all of those things. I'm the mother of two living and one deceased child. 
I'm the grandmother of five. I'm actually a great-grandmother. I have three beautiful great-grandchildren, right? And I love saying all that in the same sentence, right? And connecting it, the whole equation with the and, right? And and so the, the journey for me has been how to reintegrate all parts of myself because all of that is here. All of that is here. And it's been a reintegration of all parts myself, of myself. What I've discovered is that when I ignore, deny, pretend like some part isn't there, like I reject or deny or any of those things, some part of myself, then what it often does is come out sideways. What it often does is come out sideways. And when you think about that, that is that that it, it creates a split. It yeah. creates a split inside of me, and that split leads to an internal war, yeah. right? And it's the antithesis of yoga. Yoga means integration. It means union. It means balance. It means wholeness. So the journey has been, for me, about reintegrating and accepting and really acknowledging all parts of myself, all parts of myself. And what a beautiful journey it's been, right? Now, that said, there have been parts of my life that were completely chaos and and uh, really, uh, at the time, particularly, uh, uh, a little bit of hell, a little bit of hell. So, the you know, the story is for the first, like, 34 years in my life, I was caught in the grips of, of addiction in some way, shape, or form. And addiction took me into the 12-step program says jails, institutions, and death. And all of those are a part of, of, of what I know personally through lived experience, jails, institutions, and death, mm. right? And the death was not only the death of incredibly, which I'm still seeing in front of me, the death of incredibly beautiful, talented, witty, brilliant people around me that are have died from this dis-ease of addiction. Yeah. Um, it was also the death of my own soul. When I walked into the rooms of a 12-step a, a program uh, many years ago now, uh, in 1987 actually, when I first walked into the rooms of a 12-step program, I could barely put a sentence together, right? Addiction had taken me through commercial sex work it had taken me through domestic violence. It had taken me through, you know, just so many things. Again, death, the death of my own soul. And so when I walked into those rooms, I was so grateful to find people there who truly did love me till I could learn how to love myself. Right. And through the first eight years of recovery, many things happened. Right. Many things happened. Uh, and my recovery came through the 12 step and uh, uh, I finished my undergrad degree and I got I actually finished my undergrad degree with straight A's, which was amazing. Right. I went on to start my graduate work and I finished my graduate work with one B. I always say I still kind of holding a little bit of resentment with the person that gave me that B. <laughs> still, still holding it. Yeah, I got work to do still. Right. But um. So I went through, I got all these degrees, I got school, I got a great job, I was working hard in, in the world, particularly at that time of computer science. Uh, 
and um, uh, found myself, you know, after the first eight years of recovery, you know, thinking that I had this thing, thinking that, you know, I got this, I'm doing well now, everything's good. And uh, uh, part of the story is the company I was working for sent me on a business trip. It was an, a, a trip out of the country and everything that could have gone wrong went wrong in that in that business trip. And by the time it was all said and done in a foreign country, I'm in relapse. I take a drink. Uh, I find myself in that moment after not having a drink or a drug in my body for eight years. Right. I find myself in that moment. You know, I'm in a, a foreign country. Actually, I was in a place called Garmisch, Germany. And at the end of the business trip, which I drank all the way through the trip, uh, at the end of the trip, I ended up taking a flight to Amsterdam. Right. <laughs> and <laughs> as you do, <laughs> brilliant decision. Another one of those. Right. And, you know, the amazing thing about it was after eight years clean, in that moment, I knew exactly what to do and exactly where to go and exactly how to talk and all of that stuff in order to find my drug of choice in a foreign country, right? And I always tell that story and it absolutely blows my mind, right? Because I had been clean. And this is part of where this integration of the yoga pieces come in. Right. What what I, I tell people all the time and, and I remind myself of all the time is that that patterning is still there. Right. It's like a neural pathway. Yeah. Right. It's still there. And so it behooves me. It's like you don't do your yoga practice once. Right. You have to keep coming back. Right. And it's the same thing with this. I have to remember that that is still there right. or else. You know, I may be prone to go back into that once again. So it's just that reminder, right, with that. And um, so, you know, uh, I'm in the throes of relapse in this foreign country. I make my way back finally through lots of phone calls and support from many people. Mm. Make my way back to the States. And it was, I was living in Boston. And it was there that I was actually reintroduced to yoga. I'd been introduced to yoga earlier in life, but kind of let it go. Mm -hmm. But I was reintroduced to yoga. And um, I would love to tell this part. First, it was um, a Bikram, hot yoga. And then I fell in love with the Ashtanga practice and really got deep into the Ashtanga practice and had a wonderful teacher and started really getting deep into yoga philosophy, right? And reading everything I could find relative to, to yoga philosophy. And it was then I started seeing all these connections between yoga philosophy and the 12 step program, right? I started seeing how all these things tied together within them. And then, uh, you know, after a lot of study, falling in love with the practice itself, I made another decision. I said, okay, I got yoga. Now I don't need the 12-step program anymore. I was mm -hmm. sick and tired of hearing the same stories over and over again, walking in those rooms. <laughs> da, da, da. <laughs> right, right. So I said, you know, I don't need this. And so I made this decision to, again, step away from the 12-step program. And so that was four years after the first relapse. 
And at that point, after that four years, I relapsed again. So now I've been through two relapses. And it was after that second re relapse that I recognized that these two things, at least for someone like me, needed to be coupled, right? They needed to be married. They needed to be deeply integrated in a way that addressed both the cognitive which is what the 12 step program does a really good job at. From my perspective, those 12 steps are freaking brilliant. They're brilliant, right? And they do a really good job at the cognitive pieces, but something else from, from for at least someone like me needed to be there to address the body-based or the somatic pieces of this, right? The issues really do live in our tissues. Right. And so to find something to connect the cognitive and the somatic to support a release, even at the level of the body, was very, very, very beneficial for someone like me. Right. And um, I'm grateful to say that it's now been more than 18 years wow. since that last relapse. And it's been for me this deep integration of the cognitive and the somatic that supplied a, a, just something else that was needed for sustainable addiction recovery for me. And that's how this all came about. It came about out of my lived experience with this. And what I, what I noticed is that there were lots of other addicts like me, that this additional piece right could support sustainable recovery and so watch osr was founded in like 2004 2003 the first really piece of it came together in 2004 it was actually developed in 2003 and it's just been this thing that i've seen over you know the course of not only my own lived experience but working with my goodness hundreds and hundreds of people since that time is that it is really something that can support sustainable addiction recovery and that's what this is all about and that's where it all came from it's so beautiful what an incredible story and i love that you know um in two of your relapses one was sort of like and because of deciding to just having one and then the other one was just having the other and then kind of, you know, the culminating moment is really when you brought these two together and it's, and as you're saying, uh, cognitive versus somatic, it's a really beautiful kind of, you know, integrative, a story of integration of the body and the mind. But I'm also wondering, you know, what role the whole project and the program of, you know, cr the creation of that program has also played in your own recovery and the support that it's given you? Yeah, yeah. Oh, my goodness. It supports me. You know, the way that I look at the, the whole program, um, I'm a, 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 one of my very dear friends, Ralph Gates would say, he says something like, in this, I'm another bozo on the bus, right? <laughs> and I love that phrase. I yeah. love that phrase, right? It's not like, I, I mean, it, it's like my job with the program itself to hold the container, mm. right? In, in order for there to be a, a, a container of, of safety or a, just a container 
where Y12SR can continue to its own growth, right? It's its own. My thing is just to hold it and recognize, again, as another quote-unquote bozo on the bus, when we do Y12SR meetings and practices and I am the space holder and facilitator, if you will, for those things, I am in there as another person in recovery, right? I'm in there. Now, I'm a person, I'm a, a bozo, as I always say, a bozo with a job. I got a job to do, but there is no hierarchy, right? There's no hierarchy. It's not like I'm the person who's going to heal you or any of those kinds of things. I'm in there. It's like peer to peer. Yeah. We're all in this together, right? And, you know, we're going to support and create a container of healing so that all of us can heal together. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, one thing that I think is really beautiful about what you emulate is kind of a different way of being a teacher that doesn't need to sort of, you know, position oneself on a pedestal. It's like teacher as friend and, you know, another bozo on the bus, as you're saying. And it contrasts a little bit with, you know, I think sometimes the expectation people have of yoga teachers or spiritual teachers. I'm thinking of one, you know, really tragic incident um, that maybe you're familiar with relatively recently where a very famous Buddhist uh, meditation teacher yeah. uh, died. And then it came out after his death that, that you know, he ha struggled with addiction and nobody knew. Yeah. Yeah. And it was sort of like, well, what, you know, what led to the feeling that, you know, he couldn't share that or couldn't make that a part of his teaching, that struggle. And and, yeah. and then, you know, the questions of, well, would people have left if they would have known? And so I'm just curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I know exactly the Buddhist teacher that you're speaking about. And um, uh, while I didn't know um, that person personally, my God, did I feel yeah. when that whole situation happened. And we've seen it play out in other ways over and over and over and over again. Sometimes it plays out in ways where uh, a teacher's on a pedestal and they start believing their own hype, right? They start <laughs> believing their own hype and it ends up in misappropriation and harmful conduct with others that may be within their circle. Right. So we see that play. And boy, right. Do I want to ever at all costs avoid that. Right. One of the things in the in the teachings that, um, you know, when we're working with folks to um, equip and prepare them to go back into their own home communities and offer Y12SR. One of the things I love to show is this wonderful quote is by an aboriginal activist named Lilla Watson. And the quote is, if you've come here to help me, you're wasting your time. But if you've come here because you understand that our liberation is bound together, right? That our liber all of our liberation is bound together, then we've got a container from which we can get to work, right? But if you've come here because you think, you know, all these poor people, these poor addicts and you know, these you're wasting your time because healing can't happen in hierarchy. Curing, there's a distinction between healing and curing. Curing might happen in a hierarchy, but healing doesn't. Healing something different than curing. Mm, 
And so, uh, you know, from a, and healing doesn't happen in a hierarchy. It yeah. does. It can't happen in hierarchy. So my job is to just create the space. Spirit does healing. Right? Mm-hmm. Spirit is what does that work. So my job is to create the container where space for healing to work can happen. Right. That's my job. Just just do my work in order to to create that space through which spirit can work. That's amazing. I don't think I've ever heard anyone make that distinction between curing and healing yeah. and as a kind of different trajectory entirely. And and I love it because it sort of makes you think, well, you know, on the one hand, we've got, of course, our modern medical establishment, which is a curing establishment. Right. And that's right. very hierarchical. You go there, you defer to the knowledge of that doctor. You know, That's right. And thank God for that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, even in, in my own case with a, a really recent example with that is, you know, through the throes of, of my addiction, I contracted hepatitis C. Mm. Right. And now and I've seen so many people die from that disease. But thank God. Right. There is really a cure for hep C right now. There's a cure for hep C. Right. And that's amazing. And thank God it's hard as heck to get right. And all of that. But I finally went through the process. You know, it's expensive as hell. And it's all the entanglement of our medical system. Yeah. Right. But I finally went through that. And through the course of that protocol, the doctor sent me an email and he said, the virus is now virtually undetectable in your body. We pronounce you cured, right? And I'm like, oh my God, mm-hmm. right? But that's curing, right? Healing is something completely different. Because guess what? If I were to go out in the world and conduct the same kind of affairs and do things that the same things that I was doing to contract the virus in the first place, guess what? I get it again, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so healing is something completely different than yeah. curing. And we got to recognize that distinction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, you know, that resonates because I just recently this past year had a challenge with um, stage one cancer, which thankfully, thank God it was stage one. But, you know, the emotional stuff that happens as a result of that, um, you know, goes far beyond like the immediate um, event of it. And then and I had it, you know, removed and and now I'm cancer free. And, you know, as, as far as we can tell, I'm cured. But there's still that kind of, you know, lingering, you know, trauma-induced kind of feelings and emotions that haven't perhaps all been, you know, reintegrated yet. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. So I love that. I really love that distinction. One thing that you were mentioning about um, when you were talking about the embrace, which I love, I've heard that you mentioned that before on another podcast interview I was listening to of you where you were um, describing the embracing of the the light and the dark or the light and the shadow, we could say. And and I was what it made me think of, you know, well, these are all of the kind of knowns, right? And there are so there are knowns that we celebrate in ourselves and there are knowns that we don't celebrate. But I'm wondering about, you know, what you think about uh, in the context of recovery or, or, or triggers to addiction, what role the unknown can play and like our desire to kind of colonize the unknown or in a, in a, if I can use that term by, um, you know, trying to 
trying to map something on it or trying to close it up or trying to oh, yeah. create a label that, you know, that that maps over it in a way. Does that make sense? I think it does. And you tell me in, in this response if it addresses what I think I'm hearing relative to that. Right. I the 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 way that I often and it's really an image that I have on my computer and on my phone and, and all all of this stuff. And it's of the earth, mm -hmm. right? And it's it's I use it as this reminder for me that right this very minute, wherever I am, I'm standing on a rock that's spinning in space. Mm -hmm. Right? I'm standing on a rock that is spinning in space, right? <laughs> right? And, and the fact that it's spinning, right, means that that's my reminder again, that it's all impermanent, that everything is changing, yeah. that everything is moving, right? And for me to get attached to one particular point of view or to, yeah. to one particular a label, or circumstance or any of that kind of stuff, then, you know, if I'm getting attached to something that's impermanent and to something that's continually changing or moving, that I'm setting myself up for suffering just by the, the attachment itself. I'm yeah. setting myself up for suffering, yeah. right? Now, that's, that's, that's not, that's part of, you know, we'll, we'll say in 12-step program, that's simple, right? It is a simple concept and a simple thing to remember, but it's not easy. Mm. It's not easy, which is why so many things are important for me for this level of sustainability relative to that, right? Doing my practices, getting up in the morning and, you know, doing my praying and my chanting and, you know, all of those kinds of things having people to call, having a tribe and a community and people to call when I get off track. And when I, what I love about the integration of the yoga practice with all this is because I have much more of a sensitivity and much more of an awareness at the level of my body, mm. right? And recognizing that my body is gonna tell me first Right. And my mind's going to want to make up stories and it's going to want to make up labels and it's going to want to make up uh, all of those things. Right. That this is happening because of this. Right. And the recognition that anytime I'm in because I'm in a story, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm in some story about it. And in that recognition, coming back to my body yeah. and coming back to what it is that's really going on at the level of sensation mm. in in my body, right? And so, it, and it's doing my practices. It's having people to call. It's it's um, you know going to for me still going to meetings and addressing the cognitive pieces and not letting it get out of out of whack and and, and crazy, and you know praying and practicing and meditating and chanting. And all of those things that support me in, in a position for sustainability and all that. Yeah. So, you know, for me, it's getting up and doing that stuff every day, like brushing my teeth and combing my hair and showering is just a part of the deal. Right? Yeah. 
Wow, that was an excellent answer to that question. Um, so, Nikki, I about the I know I've heard you say sort of that, um, and I think it's becoming pretty clear to everybody listening that Wive Twelve SR is not uh, it's not a replacement for Twelve Steps. It is kind of an auxiliary program. It augments that experience um, of the Twelve Steps. Um, but so I'm wondering, you know, what what was with the um, traditional Twelve Steps. What was uh, you were saying? What was missing for you was the kind of somatic a- aspect, and then you do hear sometimes people say, "Well, you know, yoga is my twelve-step program." So, what are I know you've been saying the cog? It's the cognitive element, but can you describe a little bit more? You know, what yeah. the twelve steps really offers that yoga as a somatic practice can't. Right. Um, more, it supports a structured cognitive, the 12 step program is what I'm speaking to here, supports a cognitive structured way in order to do what yoga speaks of as swadhyaya, Mm -hmm. that self-reflection, right? That sense of vichara, that sense of deep inquiry. And there are structured steps, right? And really the purpose of the steps are to begin to embody the spiritual principles that sit underneath them. Mm. Like the first step of the 12 step program, the spiritual principle that sits underneath them are acceptance and it's awareness, right? And honesty, right? Being really, really for real, for real, radically honest, which is a hard thing to do about me. Right, about me, right? It's hard to see the picture when you're in the frame, Mm -hmm. right? And so this gives us a way to subjectively come out of the frame, objectively rather, come out of the frame so that I can look at me as the subject in the frame. And they're structured steps in order to do that and to really work and get at the spiritual principles which happen to look a whole lot like what we speak about in yoga as the yamas and niyamas, mm-hmm. right? Very often in the world of yoga, I used to always say the yoga community, but I don't even know what the hell that is or what that means. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> I don't know what it is or what it means, but just generally speaking, some things that, that, that one that I've seen over and over again it's easy in, in contemplative communities as a whole to talk the talk, mm-hmm. right? But not really walk the walk, yeah. right? And so the, the 12 steps give us a way to really look at, okay, am I really walking this talk, yeah. right? Am I really walking this talk? And that's what I love about them, right? And they are brilliant for that purpose, from my perspective and from my live experience. Just a brilliant way to begin to to look at. You know, we've seen examples over and over again of spiritual teachers, right, who really are, you know, and even me, I mean, 12-step stuff, I've been around 12-step programs for a long, long time. And, you know, I used to always say, I can walk in those rooms and make you think I'm Gandhi, right, (laughs) or something like that. 
just our, our yoga. I've been around yoga for a long, long time, right? I've been in these practices and in this study for a long time. And I can make you think through my talk, right? <laughs> Right, that I know all this shit and I'm just wonderful and you should bow, right? <laughs> just because I know it, right? But am I really walking the walk, right? So this gives me a way, right, to really look at am I really doing, where right? am I in the walk? And so I love it for that reason. Yeah. I mean, it's such a beautiful and I feel it's like just an important sequence to do in general in one's life to, you know, to walk a path of, to, to walk the talk of radical honesty with oneself. And I, you know, and some of the people that I know from recovery who've been through the 12 steps, I mean, they're, they're some of the most self-aware people I know. And also the most thoughtful because they've looked at their shit and they've That's dealt with right. it. And we, would, right. and we would hope that, you know, in the yoga com community with quotes, air quotes around yeah, it, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that that yeah. would, that, that is a part of the process. But, you know, the, I think that aspect of it, the, the yamas and niyamas tends to be sort of, you know, it's spoken about, as you're saying, kind of spoken about, but not really lived, or at least maybe we don't even know how to apply the techniques, really. We know the that, terms, but we don't really know the sequence of how to really integrate them. That's right. That's so, that's my experience and what I've observed and really had experience with exactly the way you just said it. Mm. So I'm wondering, um, Nikki, what the other kind of you're mentioning some yoga philosophy principles, and um, and I love all that. Um, being a philosophy geek myself, but I'm wondering if there's any other you know tenets of yoga philosophy that are really connect kind of with um, the path of recovery as you understand it. So many we could talk about this from For days, <laughs> but oh, years, 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 years. It's been such a complete study. But one of the ones that I love to get at from, from the, the very beginnings of, of when I'm working with folks around to see these connections with things, the, the one I really love to discuss comes right out of the Yoga Sutras itself, mm -hmm. the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali that speaks, it starts about Yoga Sutra 2-4-ish around the second pada of the Yoga Sutra, which is the practice pada. Yeah of the Yoga Sutras, around 2 force where it starts introducing the model that's called the kleshas, mm -hmm. right? And the kleshas are known as the seeds of disconnection, yeah. right? And I always, so these are the things that, according to the Yoga Sutras, put us in a state of misalignment, of disconnection, of, of all of these things, right? And um, I always love that they're referred to as seeds, right? And that the, the idea is to recognize that those seeds, unless you are an enlightened one, whatever the hell that means, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not, <laughs> I, and I have no intention of kidding myself or bullshitting myself to think that that's ever me. The Yoga Sutras talk about, I think it's Yoga Sutra 119, that talks about two kinds of yogis, right? One is one who comes in pretty much into this plane of existence at a, such a high level of consciousness, right? That, that they're already prepared, right? In this state of enlightenment, right? And then there's the other one that speaks of is the ordinary yogi. And 
And I'm, I know that that's me. So I'm not going to bullshit myself to think that I'm, which means I got to do the practices, which means I got to do work, right, in order to do this. So it, it, the Clacious talks about, it says that these are the seeds of disconnection. And the idea is that what we want to do is render these seeds dormant. Right. We want to do the work to render these seeds so that they don't grow and that they don't sprout because these are the seeds of disconnection, which, again, says to me that this means work. Right. If you have a garden and you don't want the weeds to grow, it takes work in order to render the weeds dormant. But we can't forget that they're there. Mm -hmm. Right. Because they'll sprout up all over the place. So we have to continually do the work. And so the glaciers at the, the very root itself is something called a vidya. And a vidya means knowledge. You put the A in front of it, it means not, right? So it's often referred to as ignorance. But I, I love to think of this as false um, uh, perception, right? How we perceive, misperception, false understanding, all of those kinds of things. I always you know love thinking uh, uh, about this not only as as the root right and when we say ignorance it's not so much stupid right how we tend to turn it's like what you kind of referred to a little bit earlier it's that i don't know what i don't know yeah right and that's a very dangerous state to not recognize that you don't know what you don't know Right. And so staying in that humility of I don't even know what I don't know. Mm -hmm. Right. Is something that can support keeping these seeds of disconnection dormant. Right. Because I don't want these to grow because they're going to disconnect me from everything else. And when you really think about that at its root, at its very root, what this says to us in a way is that we're all in some way addicted to the way that we process our reality, mm -hmm. right? We can all get addicted to our own thinking patterns. Yeah. We can all get addicted. We're all addicted. So it shows up and manifests in certain ways. But Patanjali, I would assert, was saying the exact same thing that Dr. Bob and Bill W. said in the 12-step program. They said that the root of addiction, that the root of the problem, right, is what they call stinking thinking. They call it stinking thinking. And I assert that avidya is stinking thinking, right? It is stinking thinking, <laughs> right? That that's the same thing potentially, and it affects all of us. And understanding now that it affects me and it affects everybody, and what I want to do is render these seeds dormant, with that, with that acceptance and awareness, there's a possibility to transcend it, yeah. right? There's a possibility. It's not going to go away. But once I'm aware and accepted, just like the moment that I was aware and accepted that I was an alcoholic and addict, once I accepted that and became aware of it, there was a possibility to transcend it. Yeah. Right. And so that's one of the key things that we talk about over and over and over again. 
right? That, you know, really all of us right now, I call it, we're living in the matrix. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the matrix is binary. This is good. This is bad. This is right. This is wrong. Right. But once I'm aware of that, there's a possibility of transcendence, yeah. right? Even though I live in it, there's yeah. a possibility of transcendence. I love what you're saying um, about, you know, kind of owning that identity in order to transcend it because I think sometimes there's sort of and I think I myself have even had a criticism or a, a lack of understanding in the in the 12 step process of like owning the identity of being an alcoholic when yeah. you and and what I'm hearing you saying is that that you do that as a way to transcend it it's not over identifying yourself that's with right it. yeah thank you thank you Thank you. I have to explain that one all the time. I hear it all the time. Why would you want to say that you're an addict and alcoholic? Why would you want to say that or label yourself that way? Well, it, it, it's not so much that because you know, right? Because why would I want to label myself an MBA or anything on the other side of that equation either? that while all of those are experiences that inform my walk in this world, they're all experiences that inform my walk in this world. And none of them define me. Yes. None of them define me, yeah. <laughs> right? But they all are here. Yes. Just like the five-year-old is still here and the eight-year-old is still here and the 17 year old and the 60 year old is still here. All of it's still here, mm. right? And so to deny it, it'll come out sideways. That's my experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, Nikki, that, that's the first time I've really gotten that. I feel like that minute of you explaining is worth a million bucks. So I hope everybody out there listens to that. It was amazing. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so um, I have a question now. I want to kind of move a little bit into as we move towards the end of our wonderful, inspiring conversation. I want to talk a little bit about kind of the structure of um you know, a Y12SR uh, program, because I know you refer to it as a meeting. And, yeah. and so, you know, what can someone expect when they go into a Y12SR class? And do they have to be um, an addict alcoholic? Right, right. Um, no, you don't. We say that Y12SR is open to anyone and everyone dealing with their own addictive behavior or affected by the addictive behavior of others, right? So I always say, you know, when, I'm, when, I, when I say that little sentence, who does that leave out, right? There's really, <laughs> there's no one that's left out of that, right? You're dealing with your own addictive behavior or affected by the addictive behavior of others. Yeah. And in some way, even if it may not be direct, we're all dealing with this. Mm -hmm. We're all dealing with this. You know, the overdose, the opioid overdose crisis is the number one health crisis in the United States of America right now. Wow. Right? And I can give you statistics on that that are just totally unbelievable. It's the number one public health crisis, right? This is and like heroin, essentially. Uh, well, any opioids. So now there's this whole other class. There's fentanyl. Oh, yeah. There's, you know, there's, uh, oh, I could go on and on and on and on. But the opioid overdose um, is the number one health Worse crisis. Worse than it's ever been. Uh-huh. Wow. And believe me, I've been around this for a lot of my life. Mm -hmm. 
And I've never, ever, 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 ever seen anything like this, right? And it, it's so funny because it transcends economic status. Yeah. It transcends so many things, right? And, and the way that our government and the medical profession and all of that seems to want to deal with this is that the solution lies in pharmacology. And I'm going to assert that, uh, and no problem, I'm not dissing the pharmacology. Assert it, Nikki, assert it. <laughs> I'm going to assert it, right? I'm not dissing that, yeah. but I am going to assert that there will never be a pharmacological solution to what I assert is a spiritual crisis. Yeah. This is a spiritual crisis, and there's never going to be a pharmacological solution for it, right? You can't. It just doesn't work, right? Yeah. And so um, what, again, I'm saying all that to kind of get at what we do in, in Y12SR. What you'll see there is, um, and kind of it depends on how it goes, right? But it's always the combination of a meeting and a, a, a yoga practice. And they're all integrated yoga practices, which means they include asana, pranayama, meditation. They're all integrated yoga practices, right? Mm -hmm. And um, uh, the meeting is a little like a 12-step meeting. We come in, we read a format, right? And the format sets up many things. It sets up the context for the meeting itself. It also sets up um, what we call ground rules, right? And so these are ground rules relative to behavior, ground rules relative to a lot of things in, in the context of the meeting itself. And then we have a discussion group. We call it a 12-step based discussion group. Sometimes someone will bring up a topic. Sometimes there's a, a reading. Sometimes all of, of those things. And then there's a discussion, and the discussion more it lends itself to the topic matter, lends itself to the spiritual principles that are underneath it, right? Because this is what we want to embody. This is what we want to bring in our life. So it, it, it steers around those. And then after the meeting, or you know, depending on how it's done, it can be you can switch it and go the other way. You can do the practice first in the meeting, the meeting first in the practice. Doesn't matter which way you do it. It just matters that the two are closely coupled. Yeah. Right. That there's a marriage between them. And then after that, we do this what we call a trauma-informed themed yoga practice, based in whatever the topic matter of the meeting was at, at that point. And so, you know, we do, we do that and it's, you know, just turned out again to be this other piece that fits in a platform that supports releasing the issues that live in our tissues, yeah. right? Yeah. Supports all of those kinds of things. And um, now, you know, you can find them almost, it's just grown. It's been this organic thing that is just grown in, in uh, a really, really amazing and unbelievable way. But there, you know, 400-ish meetings now really all around the world. They're going on all around the world. Right, right, right. It's inspiring. So, Nikki, are, with, with the structure of the guys, I just kind of want to get a, a better, a really good sense of it. So is it, is it a, a kind of an asana class that's a little bit shorter than what it would normally be? And then and the meeting is still like a, a, a kind of length of a, 
a typical class, like an hour or how long is it? Right, right. Again, it depends. My teacher <laughs> tells me the answer to everything is it depends. <laughs> uh, the ones that I love to do and that I still hold space for are actually two hours. Oh, I like that. So yeah. there's an hour meeting and an hour practice. That's great. Yeah. Right. Many times uh, in certain situations, people aren't given that amount of time. Yeah. We tell our leaders it, it, it will be our space holders. Uh, if it's if it's 90 minutes, then spend 45 minutes with the meeting, then 45 minutes with the practice, right? Whatever the time limit you're given in a public context anyway. What is held in treatment centers is a little bit different, just slightly different. But um, uh, if you get an hour, if you get 90 minutes, split it. 45 minutes for the, the meeting, 45 minutes for the practice. Mm. And when yeah. you say a trauma-informed yoga class, uh, is it more about you know this principle of of where the trauma lives in the tissues and and kind of a mindfulness of that, or is there other are there other kind of principles of a trauma-informed class? All of the above. <laughs> All of the yeah 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 yeah. So again, where the issues have a tendency to live in our tissues, mm -hmm. addressing that at the level of the asana practice, mm -hmm. and there is a commonality with that, yeah. right? In, in general, in a general context. So addressing that and addressing the principles of trauma-informed. And the big thing about that is choice, right? I assert that what sits underneath any addiction is some kind of trauma. Yeah. It's something that has been unresolved, unfinished, left incomplete, any of those kinds of things, right? So I assert that that's what sits underneath any addiction. Yeah. And so the as I've learned it and as I've been taught, one of the key principles around trauma-informed is choice. Mm. In the midst of the trauma, I didn't have a choice. Right. I didn't have a cho choice was taken away, right? So our in, in the training, the way that we, we, one of the things that we're taught is to really cue and to really, the whole thing is based in choice. So that a person at any point recognizing, the whole idea is to restore and re-empower this sense of, of choice, right? That I have choices, right? I, for me personally, you know, I didn't think I had a choice in this thing. I really thought I was one of those hope to die addicts. I thought I was going to die in the throes of addiction. And then I realized I've got choice, right? So a sense of choice was reinvigorated and became known to me once again that I could choose a different pathway. Yeah, wow. Wow. Well, this has been such a beautiful conversation, Nikki, and I love the work that you do. And it sort of, um, you know, you were mentioning this earlier, but I... I, I um, I don't think we said it directly that both of these, you know, the 12 steps and yoga offer, you know, self-consciously offer a spiritual solution. Um, and so, and it, it seems to be a way in which, you know, they really connect with each other. And, um, and as you were saying earlier, you know, it really is a, a spiritual answer that we're looking for when it comes to, um, you know, addiction and not, and I'm, I was, I was happy to hear you say not a pharmacological one, because I think that's such yeah. an important point. Because we, yeah. we do sort of look to, you know, the medical discoveries to sort of heal every aspect of ourselves. And back to your, you know, distinction between curing and healing, it's a, it's a different ballgame. It's a different ballgame. Yeah. yeah. 
Beautiful. So do you want to share a little bit about how people can get uh, in touch with you? I know you have an online training. Do you want to talk a little bit about your offerings? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we do, we offer this thing called the the Y12SR Leadership Program, Mm -hmm. right? Leadership is in in quotes there, (laughs) right? And and the 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 whole idea uh, of that is to equip and prepare folks who really want to go back out in their own community and create Y twelve SR meetings like twelve step meetings that are yes. based community based, right? And so um, there are two pieces of the training. You can do it in one format, which is called a combined format. Right. And if you do that, you know, by the end of the long weekend, you are what we call certified as this person who can go back in their, to their own community and do this stuff. But there's another way to do it. Right. And it's two pieces. One is online. Mm-hmm. It's offered through Yoga International, which is an organization that I absolutely love. Yeah. And there's a, a curriculum under Yoga International called the Y12SR Intensive. It's six hours of, of lecture about the connection between these things, between yeah. yoga and the 12-step program. And then once you've completed that, then you can come to what we offer all around the world now, our leadership trainings. And it's the other in-person piece where you get a sense of the practices, where you get a sense more of this trauma-informed, how we infuse that into how you really go back into your community and do this stuff. So one's kind of the uh, one didactic piece around it. And the other is the practical piece of how you do this when you're community. And they're offered everywhere. And if people want to find out more about that, it's on the website, mm-hmm. which is y12sr.com. So why the number 12sr, which stands for yoga 12 step recovery. Right. Dot com. And, you know, you can go under there and look at trainings. You can look at meetings and where meetings may be in your your community and things like that. So that would be a primary place in order to do that. And then, you know, if you write info at Y12SR.com, the folks there will give you all kind of information into into, you know, any questions. It will answer any questions that you might have or anyone might have about the training and about the whole nine yards. So, right. and I'm so deeply grateful, so grateful. Yeah, it's such an incredible thing that you're doing and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today, Nikki. It's been delightful. It's absolutely been delightful. Thank you, thank you, thank you for what you're doing in the world and getting this out and the whole nine yards. So I'm so grateful. Me too, thanks Nikki. All right, take care now.